Good day, everyone. This is March Twisdale, producer and host of Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, and I'd like to welcome you to my new show, Focus On. Today, I'm talking with one of eight guest writers who will be joining me on Focus On, my new show, which will highlight other countries and cultures around the world through the voices of their writers. And today, I'm talking with, and I am going to totally say this name wrong, but I'm going to do my best, Hildur Nutstöte from Iceland. So now, Hildur, how about you tell everyone how you actually say your name? Um, it's Hildur Knutsdóttir. That sounds so much better. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been given permission to say Hildur during the yeah. interview because that's about the best I can pull off. Um, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. So um, let's give people a little sense here of what's going on. I'm here on Vashon and the Voice of Vashon Studios, and you are in Iceland, but are you in Reykjavik or somewhere else? Yeah, I'm in, I'm in Reykjavik. I'm in the west part of, of Reykjavik, looking out at the ocean here. <laughs> All right. And so there is, we thought there was a seven-hour gap, but now I think there's, it's, it's, you're eight hours behind yeah. us. Mm-hmm. Okay, got it. And um, I, what I always do is I let my guest writers um, give our listeners a little bit of a baseline, sort of who they are and, and what brings them to their their writing and anything about you that you think is important. Mm-hmm. So how about you dive in? Okay. Um, yeah, my name is Hildur Knudsdóttir. I am 32 years old and I've been writing a lot since I was maybe 18 years old. Um, I decided I wanted to become a writer really young because I always loved reading. But when I was 18, I just sat down, you know, started writing every day almost. But my first book didn't come out until uh, almost 10 years later, when I was 28 years old. Um, and that was called Slaughter, or a Change of Heart. Um, but that wasn't my first book. Like It wasn't the first book I wrote. I wrote two that are just sitting somewhere in my computer, <laughs> <laughs> which I think a lot of writers have to do because oh, you have to yeah. practice <laughs> writing. Um, yeah, and I've uh, I've never... Like thought about whether I should write for children or or teenagers or young adults, but my books have been labeled as you know for teenagers or or young adults a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, and I I read a lot of that stuff, and I think almost all my books have a bit of the fantastical, uh, some fantastical elements. I think it's just a bit more exciting than the everyday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you have two daughters, I think. Yeah, uh, one is uh, four years old, and the other one is almost two. She'll be two in in the start of January now. Right on, right on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your books are translated into which languages? Uh, French. Um, yeah, only French, but um, hopefully more. Oh, I come. thought you had one in <laughs> German already. Uh, no, I don't. Okay, okay. So, So what language are they written in? Icelandic. Okay, so it is called Icelandic? Yeah, yeah, it's called Icelandic, yeah. Okay, okay, good, good, good. The reason that I invited you onto the show was because I was so very inspired by a video that your publisher shared with me. I don't think mm-hmm. it was so much a TED Talk, but you, you were presenting somewhere and talking just so eloquently about 
a feeling and a position you find yourself in that I think all, everyone listening to this show shares, which is a sense of awareness that there are some big, big problems in the world that are going to affect all of us, paired with an awareness that I am one of billions and there's very little I can necessarily do. And how do we grapple with that dichotomy of looming disaster and a feeling that I may be too small to contribute meaningfully? And you yeah. were finding a way to overcome that and move forward. Do you want to share about that? Yeah, well, it's, it's something that I think about a lot because um, I know a lot about climate change and other um, environmental issues. And like this talk, it was like, uh, it was from a conference on microplastics in our oceans, right. which is a really, yeah, it's yeah. a really big issue that a lot of people don't know, but like they're finding plastic everywhere, mm-hmm. even, even, you know, in, in, in the flesh of uh, fishes and other uh, organisms in the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's finding our, uh, it's finding its way into our food chain and affecting us. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's like, we are under threat. Yeah. And sometimes it feels like, you know, the threat is looming everywhere. So it's really easy uh, just to be filled with threat and be paralyzed and do Mm -hmm. nothing. And also um, to feel that you as one person uh, can't do anything about it really. But, and I am quite against like, um, some people say that that the responsibility should fall on the invi- on the individual to do something. Um, I I don't agree with that because I think um, governments should take the lead. You know, just in you know banning microbeads, for example, or pushing um, you know taxes on um, you know on hazards. What's it called? Industry. Um, yeah. Taxes yeah. on industry and um, carbon taxes and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I'm really glad you brought up microbeads because I was actually yeah. going to bring that up in a minute. So I want to catch that before we get too far along for folks okay. that are listening. So microbeads are, if you've ever seen those commercials, which you probably have for like um, uh, cleansers and um, feminine care products oftentimes that have microbeads, little teeny tiny things that are full of special oils. And when you rub them on your hand or your face or whatever, they'll, they'll burst. And, and it's this, this really great, wonderful thing. Well, they're literally little plastic capsules and they, they don't like just melt and go away. They, they withstand, they exist like plastic does. And that was the big one that caught me a few years ago was the awareness of, of the, if you think of the billions of bottles of these care products and when people use them then they hop in the shower and it washes off their body and gets right into the ocean and the rivers and so i'm assuming that's what you meant by microbeads as well yeah um uh, yeah it's yeah it's, it's microbeads in um in products right but also just like just like plastic because if you throw away a plastic bag and then it goes into the right. ocean it breaks down into microplastics Right. And, right. Um, and but the microbeads, like- I think there's something that people can intentionally at the store say, oh, you know what? I really do want a great cleanser. I want a good cream. I want whatever, but I don't want to buy mm-hmm. that one with the microbeads. I'm going to buy this one, which yeah. just is plain lotion or whatever. Yeah. And know. like a, a lot of, 
Oh, what's it called? The thing you put in your tooth? Yeah, like toothpaste? Right. Some, some toothpastes have microbeads. Oh. They could, they could just yeah. as easily have, have like silica, you know, beads or something. Right. And right. so it's, it's just, you know, and you use it for like two seconds, but then the plastic never breaks down. Like they, they're never, they have no evidence of plastic breaking down because it takes such a long time. Right. But the plastic, like the first plastic that we, um, that was manufactured, it hasn't broken down. And that was like, what, 90 years ago or 70 years ago or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, mm-hmm. yes, so you're using a product for, you know, a few seconds and then it stays in the environment forever. Right. And it's not controlled. It's loose and free-flowing and causing problems everywhere. Yeah, yeah. And um, and now, like, they're um, inspecting sewage systems uh, because they have... Uh, they're supposed to have some mechanisms to um, to rinse it out before it goes into the ocean, but it's not working. Properly. Oh, right, to filter it or something. Yeah, that'd be. Important. Yeah, yeah, like filters. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. yeah, it's like plastic is almost everywhere in the ocean, and it's mm-hmm. just it's just it's it's horrible because like a lot of the plastics that we use, it's just you know we use it for two minutes. Yeah. Uh, or ten minutes going home from the store, a plastic bag, but then it stays, you know, exists for hundreds of years. Yeah, it's interesting because every time you bring up a concern about plastics, um, oftentimes what you hear is people say, but our life is so much better. You need IV bags and, you know, imagine the medical world without plastics. And it's like, but we're not actually talking about IV bags. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the wasteful, unimportant, like you say, use it for two minutes and then it's gone uses of plastic. I mean, if you simply eliminated the unnecessary uses, that would make a huge dent in the problem. It's not like we want to go back to the dark ages at the doctor's office. Yeah. And it's the same with, um, you know, uh, carbon. Um, I don't think it's realistic that we stop, you know, burning carbon, but I think we should, you know, use our carbon budget for something that really matters, not just, you know, doing something silly and mm-hmm. you know yeah so so what um yeah so, so what I'm, are you what doing the, as a how are you feeling empowered as an individual to uh take a step forward that you feel um has a meaningful potential for meaningful impact yes well i i think that we are beyond i think like the situation is so dire that we don't have time to wait for every individual on the planet to to realize you know the scale of of right. problems right and and i don't think that everybody has you know access to to the right media that are telling you know mm-hmm. the truths or you know even uh, education to to know what's going on so i i don't think that we we have time you know just to wait for individuals to you know, make the right reasons as consumers. Right. So I think we definitely need um, our government to step up and create an environment or like, yeah, create, create you know, a system so that um, you don't have to, you know, just take these decisions when you're in the store or the supermarket. Right. right. But at the, at the same time, knowing what I, I know, um, I feel that, I can't, you know, me as an individual should also be doing everything that is that's in my power, uh, and I don't. And I know that, like, what I buy is not 
or don't buy or do and don't do is not going to, you know, stop pollution or (laughs) of microbeads or, you know, save the the climate. But it's also a way just, you know, to live with myself, knowing that I'm, you know, contributing, you know, as, as little to the problem as I can. So in a way you want to be able to feel good when you look in the mirror. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's like, yeah, I think it's about that, feeling good about about myself, because when I, when I do something that, you know, I know is polluting, then I feel bad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but then it's also, I I, I also um, read a really interesting report on uh, energy consumption, Mm -hmm. and and how to influence people, Mm -hmm. and like the thing that worked best, like first they tried, you know, upping the prices and, you know, trying to, you know, have incentives to make people um, use less energy. Right. But the thing that worked best was saying, yeah, you you use, you know, 30% more than your neighbor. Um, ah. And then people started using less energy because it was like a weird form of peer pressure. Right. So, not like calling yeah. people out individually or shaming them, but just to say, wow, you actually could be doing better. Other people are doing better in that way. Yeah. Interesting like, idea. Yeah. And also like Iceland is, is really small and um, everybody knows everybody um, yeah. almost. Mm-hmm. So we, so like every few years we have these crazes that seem to grip the nation. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's doing paleo diet. Um, <laughs> right. Everybody is, you know, doing this or doing that. Right. So you can have like this frenzy of of some things here. So I yeah. think like peer pressure is a really um big thing here in Iceland. I think it can be a positive <laughs> thing. I mean, World War Two, the government decided the government decided that they wanted to motivate Americans to voluntarily um, be happy about less chocolate and less nylons, and less gasoline, and grow a victory garden. And so the government was able to literally turn practically the entire nation into feeling like we're helping out the Europeans who were dealing with this horrible war, and the people in the Pacific, and our soldiers by doing without. So it became this high value. And then I think somehow we moved into such an addicted capitalistic system that the idea of suggesting, hey, maybe don't buy a new phone every single year and wait for two or three upgrades before you get your next phone. How long can you make your cell phone last? I mean, nothing like that is even like considered acceptable in this culture because it would immediately put a dent in the profit making for an industry. And so there's like this... The government just sits there and says, we have all this power to influence behavior and we're not going to use it because we're under pressure to allow, you know, for-profit activities to go Mm -hmm. unimpeded. And yet they're all resource consumption-based activities. Yeah, but I was just, you know, a few months ago looking at one of the ads that were run uh, Mm -hmm. during the Second World War Mm -hmm. from the government and like one ad... (laughs) said, if you ride alone, you ride with Hitler. <laughs> so they were like really direct. And it was yeah. like a picture. It was like a cartoon of, a, you know, a man driving alone in his car. Right. And sitting next to him was 
like this shadowy image image of Hitler. <laughs> so they were they were encouraging carpooling. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, wow. I, and I think it, it would be really great if you could like turn this on its head because yeah, like uh, in Iceland, it usually has been working like that. Like everybody has this vase that they bought at this store or everybody has these shoes and now like everybody has the same backpack um you know <laughs> so mm-hmm. but it would be really nice if, to see if you could somehow you know influence people into not buying something yeah so i'm going to do a really quick station identification folks if you have just joined the show you're listening to march twisdale producer and host of prose poetry and purpose you've surely heard of but now i have a new spin-off show as well and it is called focus on and this is a show where i'm going to go to individual countries around the world and talk with writers from that country and that culture as a way of sort of exploring what's working well, the the interests, the issues, and what's happening in other places on our planet based basically in an idea that I believe Americans have a lot to learn from their fellow earthlings in other places. And that's what this show is all about. So today I am interviewing, I'm going to say it wrong because I don't speak the language, um, Hildur and um, we're going to get back to that interview in a second, but I want to thank um, Vashon Dental for supporting this program. Vashon Dental is operates a family practice providing dental care in a relaxed environment and committed to providing personalized care and treatment for every individual's unique needs. Located across from the Vashon Center for the Arts at 19715 Vashon Highway Southwest. Also, support for this program comes from Vashon Heating and Cooling, a full-service heating, cooling, and energy management company. They will diagnose your home or office HVAC problems and offer on-site solutions for energy savings. You can contact them at 206-463-1777. And now, Hildur, how about you go ahead and tell everyone how you pronounce your name properly? Hildur Knutsdottir. Thank you. Okie doke. <laughs> so um, we are already at 26 minutes into this show, so we're going to have to um, make sure we cover everything that we were going to touch on. So okay. I'm going to move us a little bit. We've been talking um, about the question of how does an individual, all of us listening to this show right now, everyone alive on the planet, pretty much has this awareness of big problems in the world and the smallness of who we are as individuals, the sense of how can I make a meaningful difference. And so we've been mm-hmm. sort of talking about that. I, I, real quick, last thing I want to say on climate change is you live in Iceland. That is way farther north than we are here in the continental U.S. And I would imagine mm-hmm. you have been seeing firsthand some of the actual effects of climate change. Um, what's going on environmentally in Iceland? Oh, well, the glaciers are retreating really fast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like this month, uh, it's been really... It's been really warm here. Yeah. Um, the last two months, it's it's November, and I saw that um, I I just saw buds on the tree in my in my garden. So the tree is thinking that it's spring again. Oh, sorry. What's uh, what temperatures are you at? I know you do Celsius. So how do we? Yeah. I'm not sure uh, how to convert, I, but I think yesterday was it was like eight degrees Celsius, which is really weird for for this time. And mm-hmm. like last week, we had like sixteen degrees Celsius which wow. is just ridiculous for this time. We have been about 
20 to 30 degrees above normal for the last um, month. There was a, a bunch of rain in October, but still it's the middle of November. And it's like if you go outside wearing um, a sweatshirt and you go for a walk, you end up taking the sweatshirt off and walking in a T-shirt and it's in the yeah. middle of November. That's not normal. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's not normal here. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah, like the the glaciers are retreating, and um, the fish, you no, know, like uh, or uh, like the fish stocks are moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Iceland right. is a really big fishing nation, and the acidification and the warming of the ocean is probably going to be a really big problem for us right. um, in the coming years. And the fish industry is also uh, the fishing industry is starting to get really worried. I think. Yeah. Now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we um so we've been dealing here on the Pacific Coast along California, Oregon, Washington, um what they call the blob, which um yeah. is that huge hot water thing. Yeah. And supposedly you go from like El Nino to La Nina and it's supposed to be like a whole year switch and if I understand correctly, about a month and a half ago, it was a 3 week switch and we're right back where we were. Literally yeah. 3 weeks and the blob is back. That's part of why yeah. we're so hot. But it's not yeah. in the media. What does your media do in Iceland? Do they cover the stuff? Uh, yeah, they cover it um, a lot. Uh, like I, I've, I've seen a really big change since the the Paris Agreement. Yeah. They've been covering it a lot. But we just had elections, um, and um, they didn't talk about it so much. Now, um, now you ran for a seat. Um, real yeah. quickly, a little bit about this. Um, you obviously have a different system of government than we do. And yeah. um, so, like, how many parties are there in Iceland? Um, ooh, I think we had there. There were like ten parties or eleven parties running now okay. for for the parliament. But that was really big because um, there was a really big. Uh, we knew that there was going to be quite a big change now because uh, we had elections early mm-hmm. because um, a lot of officials from our government were in the Panama Papers. Right. So, they, yeah, so like our prime minister had money in offshore accounts. Right. And all, also our minister of interior and also our finance minister. <laughs> um, so we had like this really big protest. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they got and... kicked out basically, right? Well, the prime minister got kicked out, but mm-hmm. um, the minister of interior and the finance minister, they were, they, they got like the majority vote. They got, their party got 30%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we haven't formed the government yet. Mm-hmm. But um, like our president, he's, he's, he's like, yeah, he, he doesn't have any political power. Mm-hmm. He's like, um, like the monarch, you know, of right. England or something. But he's like the official head of the government, government. And he gave um, like this party, um, you know, uh, what's it called? It's called Stjórnamyndin or Impo. It's called like, so he said, okay, now we can go and form a government. But right, they haven't right. been able to in those two weeks. So mm-hmm. I don't know what, what's going to happen. We don't have a government. So this is the gentleman who I believe was a history professor and his wife is yeah. Eliza, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Eliza is planning to be on. So the first lady, she um, has agreed to be on the show, but we haven't been able to pick a date yet that works for both okay. of our schedules. Yeah, she's probably busy. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. So I think this is uh, – so what I found fascinating about Iceland a number of years ago, 2008 in particular, was that um, I believe – now, real quick on smallness. So my understanding is, because of course we have 350 million people or so in our country, this big giant 
thing yeah. we live in. And um, I believe you guys have about 325,000 people in Reykjavik? No, in Iceland. In the entire country. Okay. That yeah. is half the size of Seattle. So yeah. <laughs> for everyone listening, just take a second. The entire country, this, this, this nation that Hildur lives in, that all these people live in, their country is half the size of the city of Seattle as far as population. And you mm -hmm. were talking earlier about how everyone knows everyone. My impression is that part of why the you were so successful at dealing with the collapse in 2008 was that mm -hmm. there's a bit of a personal affront when when you find out that your government and your bankers have been doing things that are that are messing everything up because they're like your neighbors and your kids go to school with their kids. And I just had the sense that people were more active because they felt closer to those who were doing harm. Does that at all ring ring true? Um, or how yeah, it, what do you think yeah. is going on? Well, uh, yeah, I think that's true. But there's also the flip side. Like if, you know, if you see somebody, you know, when you go to the grocery store or your kids go to the same kindergarten, then, you know, although you get really, um, you, you can feel really betrayed by that person, mm -hmm. but then again, um, you know them. So it's also really hard to see them go to jail, for example. Uh -huh. So there was like this, uh, when they actually jailed um, mm -hmm. some of the banksters, they call them banksters here, like a gangster. Yes, <laughs> yes. Banks, yeah. When they actually jailed them, there was actually um, some outcry here because it's also hard to know, you know, to look at people, you know, you mm -hmm. know, being locked up. And so, and I think you also tend to forgive people that you know more than people that you don't know. Mm -hmm. And uh, being such a small community, um, it's really easy to, you know, come together and, and do things, um, which I think um, is a strong uh, point for us. It's like, it's like, yeah, easy to to say like, oh, no, no okay, now let's do this all together. Mm -hmm. But then again, you also have a lot of corruption because people like everybody knows everybody and right. they had a hard time finding uh, judges who could um, you know be the judges in the cases of these banksters because right. everybody went to the same schools and this was um, you know his father-in-law and his brother and his sister you know sure. so everybody was connected and and they were they had family in parliament mm -hmm. you know and you know in the police you know so it's it's, that's also hard. So you have corruption. Well, and the, the thing is that yeah. happens here too. So so in our country, it ends up being like the same corruption is there, but it's like a class-based corruption. It's sort of like, yeah. you know, you, you end up with the wealth class that just sits around patting each other on the yeah. back and all that. And then you have this massive, we used to be a massive middle class, but now it's a small middle class and a massive poverty class. And they're just, yeah. you know, so... So, I, yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I think if I was dealing with human frailty and weaknesses, I would rather be in a small country where you at least really could could reach out and touch and see who that person was than to have them yeah. nine states away and, you know, just completely out of touch. But But I haven't yeah. lived in Iceland, so I don't know. No, yeah, but it's more or less like if you go, you know, to the swimming pool, you could meet, you know, the president there mm -hmm. <laughs> or, you mm -hmm. know, if you just go downtown walking and, you know. Well, let's so. touch a little bit on feminism. I okay. have a friend 
who lives on the island, and he dated a woman from Iceland for a few years, and he would travel to Iceland uh, with mm-hmm. her to visit her family. And his impression was that the country has is the way he put it was that, that it's practically a matriarchy, and that the women um, have great influence in the society. And so, I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, well, Iceland um, has repeatedly been ranked as, as the best country in the world to be a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I always get kind of frustrated when you uh, people, you know, talk about like Iceland as this ideal place mm-hmm. because I don't think Icelandic women should compare themselves to women in other countries. They should compare themselves to men in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we still get paid. I think it's eight percent less than than men i don't even understand and, how that happens it's just like so weird yeah and, <laughs> and like it's it, it's also in government institutions mm-hmm. you know and yeah so and like violence against women is exists here oh yeah that's just uh, everywhere yeah. yeah and also like uh, something that i've been grappling with a lot is because iceland is a really uh gendered uh, language mm. and 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 you and you can and like also just in figures of speech and like brotherhood it's it's the same in same in Icelandic and like you know it's like your your fatherland you say and mm. you know mm. behave like a man don't cry like a girl and and right. also like yeah and it's like and it's, I think it's same like in English like dog is a priest neutral word but bitch is not a neutral word no you know no and and bull and cow you know it's the mm-hmm. same thing so mm-hmm. um things are not ideal here in iceland but mm-hmm. they're definitely better than in a lot of countries but i don't think that we should get complacent here and you have to still have to fight and like and also like in the literary scene uh we have more uh, male writers and they get mm-hmm. uh, most of uh, they get a lot of the awards, mm-hmm. but like I, I started creative writing, and a majority of the students were women, mm-hmm. but somehow they don't make it, you know. Right. I was at um oh I can't remember I I've been to a number of different writing conventions and stuff I don't remember which one exactly but um often there will be a booth there from a group that is specifically raising the point of you know we have so many more men who become published writers and yet when you look at um you go to a conference you go to a a writing retreat and it'll be like you know 85 percent women 15 percent men and then you go look at the names on published books and it's sort of different what what is it like for um for you raising daughters oh well it was really um, you know, like my my older daughter, she's four years old, and mm-hmm. um, I've always been really, you know, obsessed with you know, you know, the color pink and like mm-hmm. everything that's you know marketed to girls is pink. Yeah. So, um, or it's they, baby dolls, or it's house cleaning products that have been turned yeah. into toys. Let's yeah, carry the baby all, around yeah. and vacuum and have fun and make believe, right? Yeah, and and, yeah. and so like so so it's really easy to you know indoctrinate children yeah. basically. So what's is like the things that are pink? They are meant for you, and also they have like this pink tags. You know, toys that are pink are usually fifteen uh, percent more expensive. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, um, it's like um, with razors. You know, if you yeah, buy a yeah, man's yeah. razor, yeah, yeah, yeah. Women are paying yeah. more money for the same thing. <laughs> yeah. What is um, up with that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, like, when I um, when my daughter was born, I was really conscious of, you know, having her in gender neutral colors. Mm-hmm. But then there just came a point when she was, I don't know, two and a half or three years old. And she just started having really strong opinions on what to wear. Mm-hmm. And she just wanted to wear pink. Oh, my goodness. And, <laughs> and then... I just realized that, like, you as a parent, you know, it's truly the village that raises, yeah, you know, the child. Yeah. And so it really doesn't matter um, just, or, or, or maybe I should say it only, it, it's not only what you say or what yeah. you do. You know, it's, you know, it's everywhere. It's in the TV and, yeah, you know, and, the, and, the, and at the kindergarten. So, and you also don't want to, like, you know, tell her not to wear pink because then you're, Right. Um, you know, belittling what she likes. Right. And that's also not a good thing. So I have had to embrace the, the pink lifestyles. And now I, pay, I buy pink dresses for my girl and pink toys because I know she likes it. Right. And I want her to be happy. But um, I'm also thinking about, like, how can I counterbalance this? And... You know, it comes to mind for me that a lot of times it's the activities that are the counterbalance. Um, you know, you can yeah. have a girl who wears pink and she is always taking selfies on her smartphone and she's worried about makeup and she basically does nothing except maybe mm-hmm. schoolwork. Or you have the girl who loves to wear pink while she's riding her horse or climbing yeah, on a cliff, you know, I mean, sometimes I think it can be the do that matters, the empowering place. Yeah. Yeah. So like I, I always um, keep in mind, like I never tell her not to do something because her dress will get ruined right. <laughs> because she really likes uh, nice dresses, but uh-huh. she doesn't really care if they're really muddy or right. you know, she, she has chocolate all over, you know, <laughs> so I, I, I just let her play, you know, so mm-hmm. and. Yeah, like uh, I was reading about uh, children's clothing and and uh, clothing for girls is usually in you know lighter colors and um, in like for more flimsy material. So it right. gets, you know, it's, it's get more. Um, yeah, it's get it's yeah, it gets torn yeah. more easily. And it's colder. So, it's colder. It's yeah, thinner materials. It's like wow. Yeah, and yeah. so so parents are probably telling you know girls more than boys. No, 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 don't do that. You're gonna ruin your dress or you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I try to be conscious of not telling her that, but yeah, like uh, when you're talking about you know not leaving girls alone somewhere, or I think um, that's an, a difficult issue for me, for example, because I think you can't be constraining you know women's freedom mm-hmm. in society by telling them not to walk home alone, because mm-hmm. then they can't decide themselves when they go home mm-hmm. if, if they have to wait for somebody else and so like I've I decided many years ago that I, I'm just going to walk home if, if I've been in a bar because I refuse to be you know imprisoned yeah you don't you know, want to feel like you don't want as the female to feel like you need a chaperone and I totally get that oh, and like, it's like it's like <clears throat> it's my my safety I should be able to walk the streets but mm-hmm. then again I don't have teenagers so I don't know how, how I will feel about that yeah but I saw like this really um, funny blog post uh, about uh, raising girls and mm-hmm. and raising boys. It was about you know instead of you know telling girls how not to get raped, you mm-hmm. should tell boys not to rape. And there was like <laughs> talking about you know find the 
a party system. You should, you know, have a party, and he should help you not to rape. Right. Oh, so, I think I saw that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So if, if you feel that you are in danger of rape, raping right. somebody, you should call your buddy. So it was a really funny it, twist. Yeah, I think it was on Facebook. I totally saw the same yeah. thing. It was sort of like a cartoon thing, like squares, and it had like you know different things you could. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, the the I totally. Um, I think if I was raising girls, um, I would totally, that'd be the conversation of, you don't want them to feel like they have to have a chaperone, but most yeah. parents would probably say, if you're going to go to a party, I want you to take a friend and I want you to leave with your friend. I mean, the buddy system yeah. is really important because there are predators and, yeah. and you don't want your son to be the one who, you know, thinks it's totally not an issue to go to a party yeah leave their friend there and find out the next day that, you know, she was raped by five guys in the bedroom while she was passed out. So it's, there's the real world and there's the ideal world and how do we grapple between the two? Yeah, I know. And also like if, if I had ever been attacked, I would probably, you know, think (laughs) differently Mm -hmm. on walking home alone, you know? Yeah. But you know, I haven't. So, and I'm lucky, but in the end, like I think the stats are, I think, I think it's like, Two in five women in Iceland have been um, attacked, you know, sexually mm-hmm. or, or not non-sexually. So, mm-hmm. like, so even though Iceland, on paper, sometimes looks like an ideal place. I mean, we. Well, that's actually better than the U.S. U.S. is one yeah, in three. And I don't want to. Yeah, but then I I don't want yeah. um, I don't want to, you know, belittle what, I mean, what we have achieved, which which is a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we just have to keep fighting and not get complacent. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting. Um, so this this show will go into my archives. So, in mm-hmm. fact, this is great. So, hi, everyone. If you've just joined us, this is Marge Twisdale. And um, you probably already know my normal show, which is Prose, Poetry, and Purpose. Um, this is the beginning of my spinoff show, which is Focus On. This show plays twice a week. And so does Pros Poaching Purpose. They're both going to be happening every week. You can pick them up at 101.9 FM, KVSH, or you can come check them out on online 24-7 anywhere in the world. And um, it, the focus of these first eight shows is going to be on the country and culture of Iceland uh, viewed through the writers of that country, the ones I'm able to get on an interview. And so we're talking about all sorts of amazing stuff, but none of this would be possible if it weren't for the support of our, um, gosh, well, there's so many people who support Voice of Ashon. And I'm going to go ahead and give some some shout-outs here. I would like to say thank you to Amiad & Associates Real Estate. Um, looking for a green realtor, Emma Amiad is a certified eco-broker with over 25 years' experience selling real estate on Vashon Island. I know her. I love her. I bought my house from her. I think she's a great person to work with. Also, I have friends who've worked with Windermere, and they have given a great deal of support to Voice of Vashon um, in making our emergency alert service possible. And that's those flashing red lights you see when you come on the island, or you can listen on the radio. If there's something going on, you can find out and stay safe. So many thanks to our sponsors. And now back to the interview. So we've got about 12 more minutes. We've Okay. This so I'm talking with um you just say your name. You say it better than I do. Yeah, Hildur Knutsdóttir. 
There we go. Um, so um, Hilda has, of course, her bio is on my website, which is my personal website, which is marchtwisdale.com, as well as on Voice of Ashon. You can, I'm not going to try to spell all the words because they're interesting, but she's written a number of um, novels. She has um, a duology of horror fiction, a piece that just came out that she co-wrote. Um, 2016. Um, let's see. Let's talk about awards for a minute, because um, okay. in the United States of America, we have some awards that are given out to writers, but they're like one-time awards. They're from. They're not from the government, generally that I'm aware of. They're from like nonprofit art support groups, and they're like a, a yeah. one-time deal in general. Why don't you tell us? It looks like you guys have. Um, Basically, that the country itself, there's a whole history, and I'm going to talk with that with another guest, but for writers in Iceland, where you've only got 325,000 people in the whole country, making a living on your writing purely from a capitalistic book-selling perspective, it sounds like that's not realistic. So how does Iceland ensure a thriving writing community? Uh, well, it's uh, the award system is, uh, yeah, we have like this one, like the biggest award, it's called Íslensku Bókmantavalurinn or like the Icelandic Literary Prize. Mm-hmm. That's not from the government. It's from okay. um, it's from like all the publishers in Iceland. They have this communal body um, and they give out this award. Nice. And it's, uh, yeah, and it's only like uh, one million Icelandic kroners, which mm-hmm. is not a lot of money. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, the government, so it's more like an honorary award. Okay. But the government has um, like these um, salaries, writers' salaries, they're called. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just the amount that they, uh, the government decides every year how how much money they're going to um, give out. And I think um, last year it was about 500 million Icelandic kroners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know the, the dollars um, is it yeah, enough and, for a, a parent to take care of a family on their own? No, you have to um, freelance or right. do something, you know. So it's it's basically like, uh, you know, half of a decent salary. I yes, would say. got it. But so, but if, if you're ready to, if, if you can live frugally or, mm-hmm. or yeah, or, you know, share housing if you're married, and, you mm-hmm. know, and then it goes a long way. And especially because, I mean, you do get some money from your books. Um, right. If they sell, okay. I mean, it's not enough to live on, but, you know, it defi- definitely complements the writer's salary. And so, you've had yes. your work translated into French, so I'm assuming, does this mean it's also being published in France? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's going to come out this spring. I nice. Think, in, in France, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but so, yeah, so, like, the government has this uh, system to support the arts, and they also have salaries for uh, musicians and uh, and other artists and mm-hmm. also for, you know, theaters and dancers. Mm-hmm. And I think without this, really, we, we wouldn't have, you know, a writing community here in Iceland. Then we would maybe have three big time in Germany, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so basically, uh, but, you, if I'm reminding the listeners for a second, so the population of Iceland is equal to about half the size of Seattle. Yeah. So if you were to think of, 
you know, you go to Seattle, and I'm just talking down, like, literally the city of Seattle, not the surrounding regions at all. There's about 600,000 in Seattle. So you, like, chop Seattle in half, take all those people, plunk them in the middle of the Olympic mountain range with basically no one else around and say, there, you're a country. Go do what you want to do. And um, so basically people said – well, we really want writers, and and there's a huge number of people who publish. What is it? One in ten will publish a book in Iceland. You have a massive pro-publishing yeah. culture. Yeah, uh, we have a lot of people writing, and mm-hmm. a lot of people publish books. You know, uh, poetry or children's books, or just you know novels, or or right. also their um, biographies. You know, mm-hmm. so we have this big tradition of publishing, mm-hmm. and yeah, and. I think it's also, I think like if you want to preserve the language, then you have to, you know, give some money to, to the arts, I think, <laughs> because otherwise right. Icelandic is just going to be dead. Right, right, right. Few- yeah. <laughs> you know, Denmark has, I think there's 5.6 million people in the world who speak Danish. So that's a, yeah. that's a pretty small number. And um, about a year and a half ago, uh, the Danish government decided to come out with this big um, ironically, given global issues, um, they were so concerned with 5.6 or so million Danes, they they put out a big government push to encourage people to have babies, Danish couples, to have more children at yeah. a younger age. And sure enough, this last summer, there was this onslaught and the midwives were like, they had twice as many babies being born. And, you know, and I, yeah. and part of it was a was a holding on to your culture and making sure that you're going to maintain your culture through more of your people. At the same yeah. time, of course, we have global population crisis. So I found it an yeah. interesting idea. Yeah. And this is, um, this is a big debate here in Iceland also, because um, we don't have, you know, money to translate, you know, like, you know, the Windows XP or, you know, the, the environment in the computers. Mm-hmm. So children are, and also we don't have uh, a lot of money to translate, you know, cartoons for children. So children here learn a lot of English very, you know, seem to know more English than Icelandic, or at least have uh-huh. a better vocabulary. And also because, I mean, if you don't read in Icelandic, uh-huh. then there are a lot of words that that you're never going to learn. Because right. Yeah. You won't run like, into them in casual conversation. Yeah, exactly. Well, that now how how about the schools are they taught in English or Icelandic? No, 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 Icelandic. But it it was like this really um it, it was also part of the debate before uh the financial collapse. Mm-hmm. The banksters because they had become international banks mm-hmm. and some of them were like really saying like let's just switch to English because, mm-hmm. you know, it's much more convenient and we don't have to translate, you know, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I've been doing this and like um, the writers, uh, we have like this, it's not like, um, yeah, it's like, uh, what's it called? It's, it's it's not a union, but it's, uh, or it's like the writers union here in Iceland. Mm-hmm. Um, they or have collective like this, oh, or something. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like a union or a collective. It's, it's not really like a union, but it's like a union collective. Mm-hmm. They have like this outreach program, which I've actually been been a part of now, going to schools uh, and having these writing workshops for children, aged um, ten to thirteen years old. Mm-hmm. And I'm 
I'm, you know, trying to get them to write something and mm -hmm. get their imagination going. And a lot of the times they ask me, how do you say, you know, and, and then they say a word in English, how do you say that in Icelandic? <laughs> you know. Wow. So, yeah, so it's it's going to be, yeah, and um, some people are projecting that Iceland, like Icelandic sure. is going to die out in, I don't know, 50 or 60 years. Wow. Which would be a pity, but... Um, but I think, I mean, something else will replace it. I think, like, we're always going to write stories. And I think, you know, there's people want to hear stories and they want to be entertained. So I think mm -hmm. Icelandic writers will, you know, continue to write. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but maybe, yeah. That's a fascinating perspective. I think, um, so my family, I definitely would like to get my kids out of America and into another country for a few years so they can mm -hmm. really start to feel and taste and sense the difference. You can't get it from travel. You have to live somewhere to get it. And I feel like, um, you know, in America, since it's so big, you can travel your whole life and never leave the continental U.S. and still have seen a lot of places. And so, yeah. so many Americans have virtually, well, the vast majority of Americans never live anywhere other than America ever. So they just don't yeah. have that perspective. And I think, you know, I'm already thinking like of, of Denmark is where I'm sort of aiming for my family. And to me, I yeah. think, oh, there's only, you know, there's less than 6 million. That's going to be totally different. But my goodness gracious, you know, your country, your worldview is, is um, that's got to be just so so different to actually be wondering if in 50 years from now, you know, your language will have been held on to or not. That's, you yeah. know, it's, 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 it's interesting. What do you think is the best thing that you guys get out of um, being such a tight knit and close community? You know, I've, there's gotta be a level of intimacy. What do you think is the best thing that comes out of that? Uh, well, I think it's like probably a sense of community because I, I know like, uh, uh, like people, in the states like you were talking about they can move to another city for a job and mm -hmm. then they know nobody in that and that's in that city they don't they don't have a family or friends mm -hmm. so i feel like families are scattered around yeah uh, but here i think uh, families usually live quite close and like here in reykjavik i have my my mother and my father and my mother's husband and you know my, my mother-in-law and my sister and a lot of friends mm -hmm. um so for example um I can always get somebody to babysit for me mm -hmm. and my children are in really, you know, close contact with their grandparents and, you know, all the extended families. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and for example, we have a lot of divorced couples here in Iceland mm -hmm. who are co-raising their children. So they just live, you know, really close to each other and they have like a week and week. So, and people, um, yeah, so I think that's, that's a really good thing here in Iceland. And because mm -hmm. when a big part of the population lives here in, here in Reykjavik and it means that almost everybody's here you know well and living together living with people it it requires a whole specific set of sort of social skills and I think when you live in a culture where by necessity by normalcy or by choice you can be so far away from people and have a more um, isolated sort of uh, situation, in, you don't necessarily cultivate the same skills. Like, you know, um, the idea of it almost being normal for divorced couples to have 
most likely an amicable divorce and, and a sharing of the kids. You know, I would imagine it would be hard to be having a, a very aggressive, non-amicable divorce because you're surrounded by all of your friends and family neighbors who are watching you have those problems. It almost seems like maybe there's there's um, more effort goes into figuring out how to work together. Yeah, and I mean, that's also a byproduct of good equality among the sexes that, um, you know, fathers here are uh, really active in their children's lives. Mm-hmm. But, and, and of course, they want to continue that uh, after divorce. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like now for my generation, it's it's more common than not to have, I think like on, on a week-on-week basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also we, um, Icelanders, a lot of them are divorced or like, or a lot of them even don't marry. I think <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. always laugh- laughing about it. Like, um, yeah, people really don't marry a lot here in Iceland. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's like, I think in the States you have like a really different view of, um, matrimony and, and like this nuclear family, I think. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. The nuclear family is like seen as being the starting point and yeah. And um, they have a sense that the extended families feels more like your starting point. Yeah. All righty. So we've pretty much covered most of the points we were going to jump in on. Um, you ran for a seat recently. And yeah. um, the election was October 29th. And you were running for one of the more dominant um, groups, which is the Left Greens Party. Is that correct? Yeah. And you specifically wanted to make sure that the conversation around climate change was a part of the of the race and what was going on. Yeah, like uh, I have no aspirations of being a politician. Mm-hmm. But like I was talking about earlier, given what I know and knowing the urgency. Yeah. Um, and wanting to live with myself. <laughs> right. And I was I like when I decided to to run, I was thinking like you know, 50, 50 years, you know, in the future, yeah. looking back, you know, am I going to be happy with what I did? Did I do, do, do everything I, I could? Mm-hmm. And also I was, because I was talking about, um, I think it's too late just to wait for um, the market to take care of it or mm-hmm. individuals. So I think I really do think that we need governments to step up and, yeah. you know, take action. So yeah. I decided, you know, put my money where my my mouth was you know right. and try to do something about it or, but then or put i was your also time where your your um yeah 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 but then i was also i admit a little relieved that um, <laughs> you know because uh, yeah that i didn't get a seat because i i have a lot of uh, very exciting writing projects lined mm-hmm. up which i probably wouldn't have been able to to do but what you know, a great example would, to would, your daughter, yeah. your four-year-old. You know, she's old enough to to know what's going on, and and you know, to see you stepping up, taking action, engaging, and basically, mm-hmm. yeah, pursuing um, meaningful actions in your life. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I want to be able to say, you know, well, at least I tried. You know. Yeah. I yeah, and and that's the only thing we can do, basically. Yeah. I think because you never know. You know, if if you actually achieve something, but, you know, the only thing you can do is try and do your best. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, Hildur, unfortunately, we are out of time, which is always such a bummer. I'm having so much fun with all of my guests. I never want to stop. (laughs) 
Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you very much for joining me today all the way from Reykjavik, Iceland via Iceland, Skype. Yeah. You gotta love mm-hmm. Skype. It's wonderful. Yeah. And, um, thank oh, you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And I believe I'm getting a copy of your, um, one or two of your books, even though they're not translated into English. So, um, people who are local can go ahead and swing by the Vashon bookshop and take a look and actually see some Icelandic writing. It's a very beautiful language. Yeah, yeah, they're probably on their way. Post takes a long time. To yes, from here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. For yeah. some reason, yeah. <laughs> All right, okay. Well, that's our show, folks. My name is March Twisdale, and you've been listening to my interview. I'm going to say it wrong, but it's Hildur Nutsudik. Oh gosh, just say it. <laughs> There you go. It's beautiful. Um, So normally you're listening to me on Prose, Poetry, and Purpose, but today is actually Focus On, uh, which is my new show where we bring home great ideas from other countries around the world through the eyes and the voices of their writers. So I'm going to leave you now with Of Monsters and Men 